Um, hello, stranger. Hi. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back. It's been a hot minute, but I feel I feel like this is just the theme. Yeah. That was a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to Modern Medieval the Podcast. We're still here. Medieval's not dead. Definitely I'm... not dead. <laughs> I'm Megan. And I'm Ella. And today we will have a very special episode because Megan's gone and done something really cool. We haven't just abandoned you. We've actually had really cool, well, she's had very cool things going on. So without further ado, please enlighten everyone on your whereabouts and what you've been up to. Yeah, I guess it's special. Um, so yeah, we've just been busy with life. I think everyone's kind of getting back to the um, rhythm of a, le- a world where the pandemic isn't all consuming. You know, you start going back to work, to school, seeing people going to concerts etc etc so we've been kind of adjusting that balance of being like yourselves most likely at home and then being able to go out in the world and trying to figure out how to manage your time because what the fuck time like is a thing again I know (laughs) that's why we've been kind of MIA visiting family Ella's gone abroad I've gone abroad but yeah so I Megan the one if you've been so long you don't recall and the one doing the PhD on medieval studies and contemporary horror kind of air quotes primarily in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and it looks like it's going to be Penny Dreadfuls my two kind of case studies and so in regard to Buffy which if you want to hear me talk about that more like in context pre-PhD starting we have an episode back in the catalog where I talk about Buffy and St. Margaret, which is the kind of first section of my first chapter, but not like chapter one, just like the first bit I've been writing on. Anyways, I was just in America, in California, my hometown of Pasadena, California. um, And I presented at two conferences, one virtual and one in person, which was really fucking cool because it was at Forest Lawn Cemetery. And so we thought, What's an easy way to kind of get back into it without doing too much work? And we thought, oh, we would talk about where my research is at and kind of springboard from there. But also, I think it's kind of an interesting, because out of the two of us, you're now a real medievalist, you know? So I think that although we often do like pop culture things, it's also kind of interesting to have these episodes where we do perhaps like more modern or like more research-based things. So just to provide that kind of content if people want to listen. Yeah. And please don't mind. I think that was James vacuuming in the background, but it's fine. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's okay. Good old rustic podcasting. Um, I can't recall Ello because we've been off and on in contact just due to life. Did you end up watching any Buffy? in uh, so when I tried to find it I actually couldn't find it for any like on any platforms for some reason so I've watched a few trailers okay <laughs> I hope that's okay yeah I mean it went off prime the mid-October so I didn't I couldn't recall if you had been able to kind of sneak in and see it not yet sorry there. I think it just went on to Disney plus uh um, oh, right well that's good to know so which feelings I'm not 100% sure about that but I think Disney got the rights to Buffy but yeah so I presented on Buffy at two conferences as I've said and so there were two different paper subjects one was on Buffy in a particular episode in season seven called Storyteller 
as a hagiographic narrative and kind of looking at the goal of that episode and how it aligns itself with the medieval media of writing of saints' lives. And then my other paper was a bit more quote-unquote academic and theological and everything, a bit more hefty. And I was looking at how the vocabulary in Buffy and it's and tracing its medieval inheritance. Uh, so looking at specific uses of the way that heaven and the soul are used throughout Buffy and in one specific season six episode titled Afterlife, um, which where, spoiler, Buffy tells or reveals at the end of that episode to the character Spike, who is a vampire, but he's like a good vampire because he has a chip installed in his brain from a secret government organization that does not allow him to harm humans in any way. So it's kind of like a shock collar. Anyways, it's complex. But she um, reveals to him that she thinks she was in heaven in her five-month absence slash death following her sacrifice in the season five finale, The Gift. So I was looking at some theological language and kind of contemplating, well, if Buffy is a series that establishes itself on like religious and Gothic tropes, um, you know, the way that it's using like heaven and the soul and hell dimensions is very reliant on these highly, highly distilled, super Diet Coke distilled, watery, no more fizzy, you know, ideas of heaven, the soul, theology that have trickled through time from the medieval. Uh, and so that was kind of my argument. It's, yeah, a bit hefty. But uh, so I, was, I guess I was looking more at like the medievalisms that aren't in your face medievalisms, like crossbows and the Knights of Byzantium and sword fighting and things. I was kind of going a bit more abstract if you will. And how did you go about, like, how did you decide to discuss these things or how did you base your research? Was it in line with what the conference was talking about or are these areas of your research that you're expanding on? How, how have you come to these? Uh, So both the um, hagiography paper, which was the first one I presented, and that was for the ISSM or International Society for the Study of Medievalism, which is like a huge conference. I did not know that until I saw I got the like roster of people presenting, and there were names on there like Karen Winstead um, and Sarah If Decker, who we spoke with for Media Evilist. Uh, she was presenting. I missed her paper, unfortunately. There was a conflicting panel, but um, like so, that was like a really big deal, which was kind of uh, nerve wracking to be a part of, but exciting. That one was just kind of medievalism. What are we studying? You know, so I just said, well, I'm currently studying Buffy as a secular saint in today. So just that just aligned rather perfectly. You know, the proposal that was already kind of the core of my general idea for my PhD thesis. I just narrowed it by saying, I'm going to look at this one episode. Yeah. So that one was quite, quote unquote, easy for me to write in regards to I had a lot of the material already done Mm. uh though condensing it down into a 15 minute paper was really hard because that's so sorry by by paper do you mean like article that you're going to discuss or like just just a presentation like a speech so yeah Yeah. they call them papers 
and then the more chewy one was for the Afterlives conference hosted by Cal State Long Beach and Forest Lawn. It's a biannual conference. And the theme of that one was Afterlives, Reinvention, Reproduction, Reception of the Middle Ages, uh, specifically through art history, which I kind of learned the art history bit at the conference. But um, so the episode, one of the key episodes I'm talking about is called Afterlife. And I'm talking about the afterlife of medieval kind of vocabulary and language in a series that is does not like identify as medieval the way that a game of thrones or a disenchantment might and then with that one in specific in particular the use of heaven by buffy in the season six episode where she it's kind of jarring because they frequently deal with hell dimensions the hell mouth these things but heaven and kind of god is always in the the negative space around. It's not something that is of importance, which is actually quite gothic. In a lot of gothic literature, it's more about the negative, the demonic, the physical torment rather than the ethereal afterness, the positivity, which I bet you have a bit of familiarity with, Elo, due yeah. to your uh, master's research on Dante, um, which briefly got a mention in my paper. And my, cool. <laughs> my supervisor was like, what do you mean by, uh, you know, Dante's Paradise? And I didn't really, like, respond to that comment because I haven't read it yet. But uh, it's, it's quite idea. a good read. It's, it's, I have to read it. It's, like, up there with um, Ovid's Metamorphoses. It's just, I haven't, like, I, ha- I just haven't gotten there yet. But I, it's necessary. So, yeah, heaven, kind of, like, the way that Buffy says it to Spike, she says... I was happy. Wherever I was, I was happy. At peace. I knew that everyone I cared about was all right. I knew it. Time didn't mean anything. Nothing had form, but I was still me, you know. And I was warm. And I was loved. And I was finished. Complete. I I don't understand theology or dimensions, any of it really. But I think I was in heaven. And so to me, you know, this is a very kind of the ineffable. It's not Mm -hmm. a negation of uh, what I called the stereotypical heaven. And my supervisor is a bit like, what does that mean? Of, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Birkenstocks and people on puffy clouds and whatever kind of... not goofy but that version of heaven this is very much like a warmth a security a just a contentment mm-hmm. um which is very I thought kind of like yeah like Dante like the light the blinding light although that's the final sphere of heaven which is really only where God is but just this kind of yeah. um it's not descript like because the hell in Buffy 
Yeah, but also, I mean, it's quite interesting because, like, for example, time is only present in purgatory. Um, right. And in hell, you have, like, these, like, terrible cycles. But in purgatory, like, the clock clicks at, like, one or, like, two or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then to move on to a sphere of wholeness is really interesting. It's, like, this idea of time is completely, like, a social construct. Yeah. Um, so that's always quite fascinating to think about. Exactly. And, um, you know, Dante is such a big uh, kind of like bullet point in history. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and there's good reason. Inescapable. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, which <laughs> hilariously, I guess, I've been able to kind of escape in a way up till now. But knowing that it's not inescapable, I'll have to do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, just thinking, okay, well, if that sense of heaven has been kind of distilled and reinterpreted through time till this description of heaven and Buffy, you know, that's coming from what I, as I said earlier, I I termed the medieval inheritance. So my argument was very much and is very much, uh, I'm not arguing that Buffy is a religious text. The idea that it, it has a religious objective is beside the point. Yeah. I really don't, well, you know, it's not what you're trying to do. No, I'm just looking and going, oh, hey, they're using crosses against vampires. There's a very specific reason why. And yeah. that's traced through the use of religion and non-religion in the Gothic, which traces itself back to earlier traditions, a lot of which originate in the medieval period. You know, of course, it can go further back into ancient times. I mean, stories of vampiric types or entities have been around Forever. always if you've yeah. seen the series midnight mass which is fucking phenomenal um the creature in that spoiler alert is like the aluka in i think it's psalms which is from the bible so like right. that creature that vampiric angel demon being is in the you know so it's kind of like just i'm really interested in though how the, the Middle Ages being a thousand years ha- had such an impact in the Western world and like Christianity and Catholicism of the questions of the soul, the mind, the body that still trickle through till today. It's why, and they were pulling on the ancients of Plato and Aristotle primarily, um, as well as borrowing from Hinduism and Islamic studies and, you know, far further east asia and things like that in ways that have been like overlooked and that's something i'm still diving into but it's kind of um again that like medieval inheritance idea i think is really rich and uh you know it goes in very general terms what i'm saying i guess it's like the medieval and then we have the gothic which we've talked about right which is starting in the 1760s and that's a return to the medieval. That was his objective because it was an other time. And then we have something like Buffy or Penny Dreadful in the 20th and 21st century that is like modern commentary on air quotes, the Gothic, right? And the yeah. horror is part of that. So it's just this long kind of thread in a tapestry um, that I'm trying to kind of follow that I think is really I find personally like fascinating and interesting. Sorry, that was a little ramble, but just trying to kind of explain what I'm talking about without. No, no, it's really interesting, and I think like also, you know, our dear listeners, is I'm I'm I'm, I'm making this assumption, but if you're listening to us, you have very 
specific taste. We are not mm-hmm. for everyone. No. So hearing you talk about the field and talk about the themes and talk about the context is I think invaluable because it kind of anchors how we talk through this podcast and what we think about and how we make it modern. So it's just it's just fascinating and it's important. I guess I'm also kind of a case example just based on what I studied that of course with the medieval you have to have some sort of awareness of religion and I think that today in our like secular society everyone's so anti that religion is a part of the world and I just think that's very futile um I mean so many of the wars that are going on are based on different religious beliefs that and traditions that have been entrenched in cultures for in some cases centuries if not millennia um and so to say that it has no uh, standing or anything yeah in something like Buffy or, or Really, any I mean, even take, for example, The Good Place, which was a beautiful series. You know, it, it tackled these questions from a philosophical point of view. But of course, a lot of the philosophy they're talking about, people like Kant and stuff were existing in a very particular moment in time where religion had yeah. certain arguments that they were in response to. Also, I think like, I don't know, most of our language, most of our sayings, most of mm-hmm. our thinking most of our literature which influences language culture all of that like it is one of my biggest lackings not to know anything about the bible and like yeah. I come from a culture like especially in Italy like these things are still present in how you know how we say goodbye to a loved one when they pass away mm-hmm. our rituals um films books sayings ways of thinking like it's kind of unavoidable and obviously ideally we'd know a lot about all the different religions right but obviously (laughs) depending on where you're from you might know a lot about your own um ideally but as it stands like we know I know nothing about any of them (laughs) so I feel like (laughs) I'm really missing out on you know ways of reading the world so I think it's good it's important to like re-dive into it re-give a context re-explain because you know, we miss so much. It's kind of a tool to read anything. And so it's quite important to have it, you know? Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, I like small antidote is when I was uh, teaching, you know, like high school and everything at the 101 school a few years ago, I had a student who was 17 and I was like, yeah, it's like a David and Goliath story. And he just looked at me blankly and was like, a what? Mm. You know, and then it, and I don't think it was the same student. It was another one who was like a teenager, so 13 plus. Um, I was kind of talking about how it's like symbolic of like Adam and Eve and, you know, Eden and Genesis and everything. And they were like, what? Yeah, that's and it was just though, bizarre like... to me because I have studied, but I'm not like immediately familiar with origin stories and like Hinduism and Islamic studies and everything. But I have just through like anthropological because anthropology of religion is something I've always really enjoyed having a base awareness of but especially in like America where Christianity is I mean we still have in God we trust on our money and um, we have you know that also like God bless America and one nation under God in our pledge of allegiance and it was just really like flooring to me to 
have to explain like what a David and Goliath, because that's just become a metaphor. It's like the underdog. It it, it was just like really uh, alarming to me in a way, like just like you were saying of just, there's so much in our world that has even just the faintest echoes of some sort of religious relationship or influence that to have like, a, and I get it. Like I was living in the Bay area. I was also dealing with very privileged children. But nonetheless, like, you know, I remember this is different, but you know, if you go to the, to um, old master painting museum, right. Mm-hmm. Or like say the national gallery in London, if you don't know about religion, you can't read it. Right. Right. You can't really understand the scenes that you see before you. But exactly. if you can't understand those scenes, before you then you can't understand what's happened in the 1920th century which means that you can't understand what's happened in the 21st century which means that like for a lot of people art just becomes this thing that you see and you're like "Uh don't know what this is which is completely fair enough but like you know why is Rothko important why do people compare his art to like a religious experience there's like there's so much to it which is it's just a shame because we've kind of cut our own legs off you know like we can't know yeah, it, it yeah, it's just funny. Like I just watched um Big Mouth just released season five. I don't know if you watched that animated series. And they do a Christmas episode and one of like the vignettes in that episode is um the like story of Mary and you know the nativity and everything, but the girl's Jewish and her hormone monster, which is like what the series is about, is explaining it to her you know, in a really funny way. And she's like, I don't want to worship this child that just came out of nowhere. And they were kind of like poking fun at the annunciation, right? That Mary's going to have God's baby, but just through like a divine, a divine way, there's not any sexual intervention. Yeah. In that, that could be a whole other podcast because it's complex as fuck, you know? And, um, Mary initially says like, no, she's like, not anyways. Um, and it was just kind of like, if you're not aware and any level of like what they're poking fun at and the fact that, you know, after Jesus is born, they're like, we are going to tell the world to worship this child and everything. And like the humor in that, because it is kind of absurd. But if you're not familiar with that narrative and the importance or significance of that narrative, like just historically, it's going to kind of just be fall flat and be, I guess, funny because it is absurd, but the, underlining of that absurdity is lost they also in that series I don't remember if it was that episode or not but they um they had a moment where they were like it's getting medieval in here it made me think back to our very first episode I meant to have a long time ago I know gonna get medieval on your ass um anyways yeah so it was just kind of funny that I was like, like, just like sitting there, just chilling, watching this show. And there were a few things where I was like, huh, fucking research (laughs) ruins everything for me. Just kidding. Not really, but sometimes it does. I feel like you're loving it though. Oh yeah. Like I'm not necessarily a religious person, but I love how weird people get with religion. It's great. Um, And just like reading the mystics and everything and just kind of, I don't know. It's just wild. And then thinking about our response to charismatic individuals today, you know, like, of course, virgin mystics in the 13th century weren't telling their followers, A, because they didn't have them, but B, like, just about, they were telling them about love and, like, peace, not to go murder people, like Charles Manson or Jim Jones. But it is just this kind of, like, for me, it's always, where is that line? 
between sanctity and sanity, which has become yeah. a big thing. That's why like movies like uh, St. Maud, which is phenomenal. Everyone should watch it. Rose Glass wrote and directed debut film. 90 minutes. It's not super long. Mm. Morphe Clark's in it as Maud and she's amazing. Or the series Midnight Mass that kind of go between these lines. I just, I love that because it asks these really big questions that are applicable, I think, to everyone, religious or not, spiritual yeah. or not. Yeah. Sorry, that was a ramble and a half. <laughs> Clearly, I'm rusty. I'm it's all right. There's nothing wrong with it. Doing this. So, Ella, do you have any other, like, you know, questions for me or any kind of tidbits you wanted me to, like, pull from my papers or anything? Yeah, I was kind of wondering. So, like, yeah. when you... Obviously, you have a very good grasp of what's happened in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, how have you come to choose those episodes? Or, like, how do you think of the series? Do you think of it in, like, storyline or thematically? Or do you revisit it when you revisit, like, when you're reading about something and you mm-hmm. think about it in relation to it? Um, what's your relationship to the series? Because, obviously, it's kind of an evolving thing, right? As you go f- forward in your research and learn more and think about it differently yeah how do you go about it yeah so I mean that's a very big question and oh sorry <laughs> no no it's okay and I mean this is something that I have on my mind a lot and Buffy been having lots of conversations with my supervisor because Buffy's a big series it's 145 mm. episodes there are you know 42 minute long episodes so I mean that's just a lot of material in and of itself and this series is just I mean, for any show, that's a lot of material, right? It could be something like Parks and Rec or something. But Buffy, the mythology and cosmology in Buffy, like the world building is so complex um, in like trying to describe Buffy in a nutshell in my, uh, my papers. For those who maybe have never seen the show without, you know, going step by step, because that's very easy to do was really kind of hard for me trying to think, okay, what is enough of Buffy to get what I want to do across while also not boring people by, you know, going, and then this season, the big bad's a metaphor for this and blah, 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 blah. Um, So I look at the series in all the ways you said. So as a whole, so like I first looked at Buffy when I decided to do research on it as like, a whole, like it's just a narrative whole, right? Mm-hmm. With the key kind of aspect of into each generation, there is a chosen one. She alone will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the slayer. So this is like the tagline for the series in a way. This is what the slayer is, what the slayer does. This is the nucleus that the series builds itself around and asks itself questions about. Um, you know, so there's the seven seasons, each seven, there is like the big bad, which has a different, um, kind of purpose. Usually it is something to like, you know, destroy the world, put it in the hell dimension, whatever. They're like metaphoric of different things. So like the season three, big bad, the mayor, um, is very much like the patriarchy and the government and kind of things like that. But uh, and he like, you know, turns into just like giant lizard de- demon and stuff. But then because Buffy's so rich, you know, and there are lots of themes throughout the series of, you know, love, sacrifice, um, redemption, 
passion. That makes it sound so melodramatic. It is like a dramedy. It is a teen drama. So you get that in it. So the big themes that are part of big series outside of Buffy, that's not something new. That's also part of literature and everything. But I had to keep those in mind and trace their trajectories. But I guess my starting point was like, okay, I'm going to be looking at Buffy, the character, Buffy Ann Summers, as a saint. What makes a saint? What is unique to a saint that considers them holy or hallowed. So in my most recent watch of Buffy, I was looking for kind of tells of that. So in the series, they call Buffy a superhero a lot. And like saints could be considered to be superheroes, but the use of superhero in the Middle Ages is not like, I don't know, Captain... Marvel or Captain America or Iron Man. It's just someone who does something outside of the ordinary that is extraordinary and supernatural, right? Mm -hmm. Or preternatural, which Buffy fulfills. Yes, she's super strong like a Superman, but I'm trying to look at the word superhero in a not Marvelized world. Yeah. Um, So, you know, tracing that kind of started to pull out other themes and kind of that really were speaking to me or interesting me the most. And then with that, that calls, you know, just like any series, certain episodes um, linger on certain topics that week, you know, like, so for me, like the use of the soul in Buffy is all over the fucking place. Uh, It really changes just like what a vampire is changes as the series develops because they kind of think oh shit we might have pigeonholed ourselves but so yeah the soul in Buffy is like this really abstract force its purpose and its origins like where it comes from are never definitively defined or discussed it's just like humans have a soul vampires and demons don't have souls but that significance of having a soul is never denied like having a soul is really it's important it's like a game changer. And alongside that, to complicate this more, is that the presence of a soul is not what makes someone or something human. Right. It's not the essential demarcator between vampires and other demons, but the lack of a soul. So like Angel, we learned very early on in season one, is an end soul vampire. He is a vampire cursed with a soul. With a soul. Right. So you just think about the words in that. There's a lot going on there, right? Yeah. You have this vampire in the series is considered a demon that inhabits the body of a a dead person, but retains their memories. Mm -hmm. So that's also asking questions of like the mind, body, soul dichotomy, right? Because especially today, like what are we if not our memories? Mm -hmm. Um, But then if you have a demon that's in a human's body that then gets so the demon, or the vampire gets their human soul back. So like when angels end sold, he gets his human soul from the 18th century. Mm-hmm. Also, like where the fuck has that soul been? We don't know. We never learned. Right. It's just out there somewhere. But then the fact that yeah, cursed with a soul adds this kind of, uh, I mean, it's problematic because in the series, Angel's soul, his curse is a Romani curse because of the horrors he's done. And that's, you know, something in the series that has been called out, the use of the Romani people uh, in very stereotypical ways. Um, But yeah, to be cursed with a soul 
how can you be cursed with something good? Yeah. And I mean, there's the uh, catch line that they kind of go into like absurd extremes that he cannot experience a moment's happiness. So in season two, when he sleeps with Buffy, he loses his soul because happy. And you know, the question is like, well, when's the moment of happiness? Is it at like that final moment of release? But his is post that, like they're sleeping in bed. So is it contentment? You know, why? Especially because spoiler in his spinoff series, Angel, he doesn't lose his soul when he holds his son for the first time. There's ever like a moment of complete happiness. You would think it's holding your fucking child, which is supposed to be impossible, right? Like, yeah. so anyways, they, they use that. So it's really weird because they also use the soul as this like sexual object. But so in Buffy also like the soul with this, right? It's like transactional. Um, it's kind of like this mystical commodity to quote um, Greg Erickson, who wrote a fucking amazing paper about the atheology in Buffy. I'll um, include like uh, a link to it because it's so well written. It's so good. And like, it's one of those pieces that you read and you're like, God damn, you're doing like you, you've done it, but also like, I don't quite agree with this. And that's been really exciting and challenging for me to kind of learn how to read something and engage with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause so much of it is good. So mystical commodity is like his, um phrase um especially by the fact that a soul it's faith and it's direct connection to god or whatever or like beside the point again we don't know where it comes from it's just something that's there and it's important and so that's just like an example of something that people talk about a lot in buffy you know and it's trajectory from season one and sold uh angel all the way up to season seven and then it continues in um the spinoff series angel the final season um which ends a year after Buffy. Uh, Spike gets his soul back, mm-hmm. which, you know, Spike I was talking about earlier is the vampire that had the chip in his brain, right? And like, there's this one line in season four or five where Buffy's little sister, Don goes like, chip, soul, what's the difference? You know, or saying diff. Like, it's a very flippant thing, but in the questions that Buffy is asking, very pertinent. hmm Because if the soul kind of functions as this moral virtue thing, and the chip is doing that for Spike, Mm -hmm. like, can technology provide a soul? And I'm kind of losing the plot. But so these are the kind of questions where it's like, I I will choose one thing and really just try to trace it. And in Buffy, Mm -hmm. the soul is something that's related so intrinsically, thematically, narratively, and by character that it's something that and the soul is also just important for being a saint as well like you have to have a pure soul yeah yeah of course but it's also really hard because like I was saying earlier I talked to my supervisor and she's like you could write your whole thesis on Buffy like and I at first was like no I can't and now I'm like oh I so easily could yeah I don't want to I want to make sure I'm not just like Buffy fan academic person, but there's, so that's been hard, like choosing what. Yeah. What extracts. Yeah. Yeah, Or like what you want to focus on. Yeah. It's like, it's a huge, like I found this divine comedy when I was doing the paradise, like Mm -hmm. there's so much, like you have to pick aspects, Mm -hmm. but that's not all of it, you know? And it's, I can imagine it's very similar for you. 
um, with this because it's just so much to say and there's so much content that to pick is to choose a reading in a way you know exactly so that's quite a difficult thing to get your mind around because you don't want to be restrictive but you have to be restrictive otherwise you can't do it yeah I mean like as my supervisor says you have to kind of kill your darlings a lot yeah. So I've been doing that a lot with Buffy. I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about this. Great. That could be an article at some point. But what does that have to do with what I'm trying to do in my thesis that needs yeah. to be a coherent whole? And like, so like, what will that provide to the argument that's like new and exciting? So something else that's been really kind of motivating me in a way is that, you know, Buffy has a kind of sub genre in academia known as Buffy studies because it is so rich. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's like Dante sex, Dante studies, you know, yeah, in medieval yeah. studies and early modern studies. Like that's not an unknown yeah, thing. Yeah. Just Dante has been around a couple right. hundred extra years. Yeah. Um, so there are certain episodes that are talked about over and over again. This is going to be Prophecy Girl the finale of season one, probably also just the, the pilot episode, which is a two-parter, um, Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest. You're going to have the episode Amends, which is season three, episode 10, which is the first introduction of the first. You're going to have season five finale, The Gift, mm-hmm. which is the one where Buffy, you know, sacrifices herself. It arguably is one of like, the best episodes of the series as well. There's another season five episode, The Body, where Buffy's mother, Joyce, passes away. And it's just the whole episode is about that. And it's truly beautiful. And out of all television, I mean, it is one of the most standout episodes I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've watched it many times and it just fucking gets me every time. But yes, there are these like Hallmark episodes that are Hallmark episodes for a very good Good reason. reason. Yeah. But I'm also trying, so like they're kind of in a way inevitable to talk about. Like if I'm going to talk yeah. about Buffy as a saint, I have to talk about her sacrificing herself because sacrifice at its Latin root means to make holy. Like there's just no avoiding that. But then there are episodes so like in season six, episode three, Afterlife. So the one where Buffy reveals she's in heaven. Of course, that scene is very important. But also for me, it's like, why is that episode called Afterlife? Like, what does that mean? Because mm-hmm. it could be the afterlife of a birth, right? Which is like the ugly that follows the birthing. It's like Buffy after life in regards to she was dead and now she's alive again. So after that life, you have afterlives, a thing that echoes and ripples through. So that's also been kind of, something that helps guide me and decide what it is I want to explore um, in regards to my research and material. But it's not easy. It's hard. It's frustrating at times, but I love it. It's great. Well, I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. So yeah, sorry if that was like a really long response. It was a very big question. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, I we should do an episode someday on just like the soul and Buffy because I could just go on and on. I mean, when Spike gets his soul back, it drives him mad. Like he goes crazy and then he crucifies himself. And I'm not even going to try to echo James Marsters because his performance is out of this world. But it's he brings in like Augustine. And my supervisor brought this up and I was like, how have I not talked about this? But they're like... 
when he's so first tidbit on that is that that season seven episode two and Buffy's revelation that she was in heaven is season six technically episode two because the first episode's a two-parter so it's listed as episode three but technically it's episode two so there's something kind of mirroring there um but at the end they're in the graveyard um church it's very um Blade Runner if you've seen it the last scene like the tears in the rain like the way he is moving the bleach blonde hair he's you know shirtless and just kind of lurking in the shadows and doing these kind of mystical monologues and at one point Buffy goes up to me and she's like Mike what's wrong and he kind of streaks back and he goes no 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 and uh, no touching am I flesh to you am I flesh to you you know feed on my flesh etc cetera, etc cetera. uh nothing but a spark which is spark soul but I was explaining this to my supervisor and she was like you know this sounds a lot like it's very evocative of Christ's resurrection and the declaration of Nolini Tanger to Mary Magdalene and I just like might drop that when she told me because uh, when I learned about the Noli Metanger trope in art history in undergrad, I fucking loved it. And I like use it as a phrase. I don't know if I've used it around you where oh, it's yeah. like with my social anxiety, I'm just like Noli Metanger, like don't touch me fucking back off. But yeah, like in that, so there's like that medieval echo, which I guess you have to be a medievalist to appreciate that. But then his like frequent use of the word spark echoes an Augustinian quote about the soul um flesh very loaded term in the middle ages um I mean the authors of Buffy I am also people are gonna be like well they're not medievalists they're not like aware of this but my argument is then why are they using words like flesh they must know in this things or I'm sorry it's just they're thinking okay you know this scene is going to be taking place in a church. We need some kind of like religious sounding language, right? Mm-hmm. And if, you, you know, I mean, shit, the, the Eucharist is the blood of, and body of Christ, right? So it's like, that is inevitably bound into that. And the whole Eucharistic battle, uh, different types of transubstantiation and everything and co- Con-transubstantiation, which is a different type. These are all arguments from the Middle Ages. So it's, again, just like a trickling down, the seeping and oozing through time. It's these delicate little spider webs that are actually quite strong that I'm exploring. All right, nerd out done. Sorry, I, I love this shit, man. Like- <laughs> I think it's great. I, I, I don't love anything as much as you love this. So uh, I always really like listening to people who have like a real interest in something and hear them speak because it's good. It's it's a, it's encouraging. It's it's interesting. And you know, I don't know who listens to us, but maybe there I will be someone either. who really needs to hear this kind of passion towards academia or studying or sees that, you know, maybe there's someone who's in high school who hates school but loves supernatural stuff or medieval stuff and it might be encouraging to hear that you could do this kind of thing uh, in higher education you know you don't know we don't know yeah I mean I was fortunate enough in my undergraduate to have a professor slash supervisor um, the late Paul Rabinow in my anthropology of modernity and anthropology of the contemporary um, and we read Max Weber who's a German sociologist from the 1920s and 30s but we spent a long time talking about there is a very well-known essay by 
Weber called uh, Wissenschaft al Beruf, or Science as a Vocation, which in Germany, and I think some of the other kind of Frankish languages, uh, science just means like study. It's not biological STEM sciences. It can include history, literature, etc. And basically his argument in this, you know, kind of dense paper is find the thing that you love and just follow it. Like almost let it kill you. I know it sounds extreme, but there are enough people in the world that do something just to get by, but you're robbing no one but yourself. He, ta- he speaks of like the daemon, so D-A-E-M-O-N, very much kind of like, you know, Philip Pullman's demons or daemons. In, Doesn't it kind of remind you of Plato? Well, and this is pulling. So Weber's okay. very aware of Plato and everything. Right, right. So he, he, but the, the, the daemon, rather than being a demon, like how we think, you know, it's a guiding force, the guardian, it's a guiding angel or whatever. And he's like, just follow that. Let that be your guide. And yeah, you know, I sometimes wish I could be as passionate about, uh, I don't know, astronomy or electrical engineering or economics, not economics, but something the way that I am about like Buffy and the medieval and things and literature just in general. But that's just not who I am. And like I shouldn't be ashamed of that. And that's also why I've decided to continue on this route. I'll figure it out. You know, I'm don't have to be a college lecturer. Like, yeah, that'd be cool. But also academia has its own politics intensities, right? And it's like, is that what I want to do? It's kind of like, I'm just doing what's making me happy right now. And that was also a choice pandemically induced because, you know, it was like, what are you going to do in a global pandemic? So yeah, if we have anyone that's listening that, is trying to figure things out. I have found that right now, the consequences, aka student loans, are worth at this moment for me, the value and joy that I'm getting out of what I'm doing. You know, like, yeah, it's hard. PhDs are hard. It's stressful. Like, don't get me wrong. But every time I talk about Buffy, people are like, yeah, you're just so enthusiastic about it. And da da da. And I kind of lose myself in it. And I don't realize it. And then people are like, it's, you know, just keep that going. And I just, I feel really lucky or blessed, if you will, that I have this thing. It's not my whole personality. I get really scared that like people think Buffy is my entire personality and it's not. Uh, it's just it, a key component, but it's not everything. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with it though. Like, no, but it's like, I, 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 I like and do other things. I'm not just living and breathing everything Buffy all the time. And I think part of the reason why I love it so much is because it's asking these big questions and it's following this legacy of stories that have been told and retold and perceived and re-perceived and then read, you know, all of this and regurgitate it. And I just think there's something like, why are these the stories that we continue to tell? And why do they mean so much? Like, why do they have such a kick? Thank you for coming to my very long rambling TED Talk, everyone. <laughs> no, I really like it. It's also really interesting. I think I think on a Monday, that's what people need to hear. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's a good way to like start back up. I hope so. Um, hopefully people aren't like oh gosh they've lost the plot um <laughs> well if we have you just have to like let us know yeah it's definitely good, engage with us please also <laughs> please just like any ideas or 
themes that are coming up, you know, um, yeah, we have the holidays and we will be very sporadic throughout the holidays due to the world, as we were saying at the open, kind of re-worldifying traveling yeah. and visiting family and things like that. But um, if you want to really for us to f- feature people or whatever it is, this is really your moment to make the podcast yours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst we figure things out, it's always good to have that feedback and also figure out what you guys want to listen to as the content is less frequent for now. Yeah, I mean, this podcast started off just as a side project in a way that was not selfishly induced, but just a way to live through the pandemic. Um, but we have people who follow us and it constantly shocks us and we're so appreciative. But yeah, we want to also provide content that's interesting to you rather than us just whinging on about sexism and things like that. And like, why are there boobs in these shows and stuff like that? Though we weren't alone. I listened to the medievalists.net podcast about the green Knight, And they were like, yeah, that was a That was a choice. That was weird. So it wasn't. I'm glad us. that other people think that way. Cause um, definitely, definitely. That was weird. Ella, why don't you, if you remember, sign yeah, us I'm off. I'm a very <laughs> best. It's not good at the best of times. So please bear with um, so if you enjoyed this episode and would like to listen to other episodes that we have up, please know that you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, um, Am- Audible, Amazon. Just type Modern Medieval Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we've got an Instagram account. Our handle is podcast.modern.medieval, uh, sorry. And then we've got a Facebook account, both a page and a group if you want to join and come join the fun. Uh, it's just Modern Medieval Podcast. And finally, if you want to email us, please email us at modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. Good job, Ello. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, we have a Twitter handle. You can follow us under the name at medieval underscore modern. Um, apologies again for all the flipping around and stuff, but that's just what was available to us. And yeah, please feel free to post on our Facebook pages, tweet at us holler at us etc etc we are here for you as well as for ourselves (laughs) so until next time i'm megan and i'm ello and this is modern medieval the podcast